Every child has a different learning style and pace. Each child is unique, not only capable of learning, but also of succeeding. This quote comes from Robert John Meehan. I'm Danielle. And I'm Raleigh. And this is Unstuck, the special education podcast. Well, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are, you t- how are you today? I'm doing well. It's beautiful weather up in the Northeast for a November day. Yeah, I think there's some records to be broken. Records being broken. Oh, speaking of records being broken. Oh, we did you want to <laughs> Did you want to hear this week's humble brag? Sure, I'd love to. <laughs> we uh, officially hit over 10,000 downloads. Wow, that's Woo! exciting. You know what? Slow and steady wins the race, that's is what right. I always that's say. That's right. Tell your friends about us. Rome wasn't built in a day. Maybe we'll get to 20,000 faster than we got to 10. Yeah, that's the challenge for everyone that's out our, there. That's our goal. Yeah. I mean, it, it took almost a year to get 10,000, but that's pretty good. Okay. I don't know much about that. 21, 20 episodes. Okay. The math works out to, what, five? I can't. No. <laughs> 500 an episode? Mathing is too hard math right now. Math is too hard for me. Give me a spelling bee any day. It's too hard right now, for sure. So how's it going? How's the school year? Um, You know, hanging in there. Hanging in there. Some days I feel like it's better than last year, and then other days I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I could co-sign on that philosophy, that, that like, thought process. Yeah, I mean, so our topic today is maybe not one of the most exciting, but I think it's a very practical topic of the individual education program, yeah. which as um, the two of us who have been in education for many, many, many a year... We just recently well, combined out, over forty years. Yes, at least. Yeah, I feel like it's been a, a, at least that many for me, but that wouldn't work out mathematically. And that math I can do. Um, that it's not plan. It's not individualized education plan. It's not. It's program. Yep. So when people say IEP plan, in the past I'd be like, "You're saying That's plan redundant. twice." Yeah. yeah. But in fact, I was wrong. So, but you know what? When people say positive praise, I definitely call them out for oh, being 100%. redundant. Because I'm like, how, what kind of praise is? I'm going to give you negative praise. Yeah. You are the worst person that I've ever met and you do everything wrong. Is that, is that negative phrase? I have no idea. Yeah. My <laughs> former principal used to call me out on that all the time in my IEPs. Mm-hmm. I would put benefits from positive praise mm-hmm. and she's like, it's just praise. Yeah. I still see that all the time. So that's not going anywhere. Um, but the individualized education program. So I know that in, you know, the states at least surrounding us when we've had students come with IEPs from other states, similar but different design, different setup, the way they, you know, some of the information is different, how they present it. Generally speaking, we get the gist, but we always rewrite them. Um, I'm interested in wondering what's, I'm interested in wondering, I'm interested in what other countries do because Mm. I'm not super aware of that. That's very ignorant of me, but I don't know how it looks for other um, parts of the world. I know that, again, in our country, generally speaking, you need students who are receiving special education services to have that IEP or a 504 plan in order for that to be put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a federal, it's federally regulated. So, right. you know, I, it's funny, I tell teachers all the time when they try to pull kids for testing or ask for data, I'm like, this supersedes any mm-hmm. lesson planning, mm-hmm. it supersedes any mm-hmm. curriculum. The priority is the IEP. It's the only, students on IEPs are the only students that are federally protected. Mm-hmm. Even kids with 504s, right. 
not protected the way that kids on IEPs are. We got an IEP in my district recently from Texas that had, that was 56 pages. Wow. I used to think like 22, 23 was a lot, 56. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I have been, um, you know, really interested lately at past couple of years of thinking about how we make these documents more succinct and user friendly and sort of carry like a similar thread and theme throughout them. Because obviously being an OT, I have my section, my speech and language friends have their section. Sometimes adaptive phys ed has a section, which is all fine because, you know, everybody, you know, these kids have a lot of complex needs sometimes. Other times it is more just academic based if they don't have the services. They may have social emotional. They may not. We sometimes get students that just have the social emotional and don't have academics. But is there some way to make it so that the information is that's needed is absolutely in there? But why is there 56? Why, why do we need 56 pages? I have no idea. And it could be the way it like it's designed mm-hmm. in Texas. I mean, Texas people, no, let us know. Yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, all four of you. Texas, yeah, but, no, no, no. I'm um, just curious because then, you know, we've gotten IEPs from I've seen IEPs from Rhode Island and those are um, horizontal. Yes. Whereas ours are vertical. Mm-hmm. I have to say here in Massachusetts, we are going to be um, absorbing or I don't know, the Department of Education in Massachusetts has created a new IEP system mm-hmm. that they're going to be rolling out. And so they've been talking about it through COVID for the past couple of years. And I was just in a conference like last week where they showed us an updated version. And I'm talking the stuff that you have to put in this IEP. I'm like, this thing is going to be like 40 pages. So what is it that they're adding? They're adding any sort of outside service providers is interesting on there. So if they're getting outside therapy, outside OT or PT, there's an option to fill all of those people in. And then there's like a health. Hmm. section so if a student I don't know has allergies or is diabetic maybe you can add that health Mm -hmm. component in there so there's a lot of added pieces to make it like a which I again I can see why they're doing it but it it it's literally all the information in one packet right and I get that it's more comprehensive but I think as someone who has along with my speech and OT colleagues been sort of pushing back on the concept of children receiving services in school that aren't Mm school-based it sounds like this could muddy those waters a little bit because they're getting something from outside and now advocates parents guardians whomever are pushing saying well they're getting speech in the community or they're getting ot in the community thus why tutoring yes tutoring so that kind of like cross-pollination i think where I understand representing the full robust picture of a child's um, services they're receiving and the needs they have. But I think now we're starting to cross the line where it's not necessarily just about what's happening in school, which I think obviously other things impact the school day, but I think not having it be so clear cut has been a challenge for several years because people do tend to be pushed. I mean, I've noticed it more and more in reports that I see from other um districts or or even states where people are now writing disclaimers in their OT and speech reports and saying things like, here's what OT in school looks like. Here's what it, you know, we don't necessarily just provide services based on testing. There's a lot of other factors. I never saw that early in my career. It was never a necessary thing to add. And I'm seeing that almost all the time now with every report I see. Well, I also, one of the things that, the first thing I thought of, which is more paperwork on the paperwork and stress side of things for teachers for this particular Massachusetts document um, is that kids that have involvement of Department of Children and Families, Department of Mental Health, Department of DDS, 
I can't think of it right now. I'm, I'm brain farting. Sorry. Developmental. Developmental. Thank you, services. So you have those kids, and as we in the business know, there's a very high turnover rate of mm-hmm. um, people in that child's life. So do you have to write an amendment every, every time single time yeah. something changes? Is insane to me. And I think about more restrictive environments. Um, you get that far more often. So it's like, how do you approach that? How do you? Yeah, handle that. I, I think this is going to make things a little bit um, yeah. more challenging and murkier. And again, I'm a proponent of like I've said this often in meetings where um, I really like when you can cross over between your goals and your objectives throughout. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're saying you know. Sometimes we get hung up on well, this set you know OT is saying the same thing that the behavioral goal is saying. That's okay because if that's what is a real need for that child to be working on. But I think there's a way to make it so that things are really flowing throughout. So you get this, especially as kids are starting to, you know, they're, they maybe they've had an IEP for a little while. They're getting a little bit older. How do we tighten it up? Really make sure that what we're looking for for, for this child to achieve kind of is seamlessly re- um, referenced throughout the IEP. And you get a picture of that child as you're reading it. Like you're understanding, oh, I'm getting clear executive functioning deficits. I'm getting clear, you know, there's some reading concerns. Like whatever it might be, I'm getting that throughout reading this. It's not so choppy. Because I think sometimes we're really, we're not, we're, we're picking things that are sort of like an isolated skill set and it's not as, as cohesive. And I think the more cohesive we can be, the more that we're all working on the same Well, and it helps things. generalize the skill. Right. And the way a speech and language pathologist is going to work on executive function is probably different than how you're going to as right. an OT, is probably different than how the special ed teacher is going to address it. So having it addressed in three different ways will help generalize that skill. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really important for kids. And we're encouraging that. So we have you know, at the many of you probably also have like a learning center or something where a special ed teacher, it's a resource for a student to be able to work on the goals or, you know, work directly with a special ed teacher. And so what we, what, what I encourage is really having some of that be overlap. So if a student does have speech and language services for receptive language, using some of that learning center time to work on those goals Mm -hmm. and have almost a, um, like a inclusionary model with an ancillary service and your special ed teacher, because the more you can sort of combat that holistically, the better the kid is going to get the service and exceed. Right. And I do think, and I think it it is obviously a case by case situation. As Mm -hmm. I said, I'm thinking somewhat more about kids that maybe have had services for a while or have had the, an IEP for a while. Obviously some of our younger students, if they have more complex needs, if it's clear cut, you know, if there are kids that have clear cut, um, OT deficits, speech and language deficits, physical therapy deficits, you might be working on things that other people are less inclined to be working on. But I also think there's, again, if you're looking at school base and this is not including what's coming, you know, down the line maybe for outside Mm -hmm. things, but, and again, that's us. I don't know about other states, but Um, If you're, you know, working on things that aren't going to be carried over, these kids are not internalizing those skills. And so at first it might be like, no, I really need to work on this fine motor skill or this, you know, um, coordination piece before anything else is really going to happen. But once that's been worked on a little bit, or that can be part of my objectives, but I really need to be bringing it back into what are they doing in the classroom? And I think, you know, with the the added stress on teachers now and the way that 
sort of a lot of things have become much more, and we've, we'll probably talk more about this at some point, but more, more online, more video, more, you know, um, smart board. We're getting less and less of some of that practice of things that do support each other's objectives. So if teachers are doing more handwriting or they're doing more fine motor through crafts and through multi-step tasks, that's addressing some of my stuff. So when I'm working with a student on that and they're getting it in the classroom, it's like, oh, look at how nicely this all connects. I can work on things in isolation. They can work on it in group and it's a nice carryover. But when you're getting this spotty, choppy, I'm working on it, but no one else is, it's going to be extremely challenging to meet these objectives in a, in a year. Well, at the secondary level, um, we have been starting to, again, going back to the service delivery, that pull out restrictive service of a learning center or Mm -hmm. something like that every day. We've started moving towards having some of that service, you know, maybe half the time and then having the teacher as a consult where they can actually go into the classrooms and support the students' learning needs within the realm. Now, those are for kids that are ready for it, for mm-hmm. kids, you know, that still need some, and it's not, um, I mean, I'll, I can go on my soapbox about co- the co-teaching model and how there's no evidence to support that it's actually a successful way to support students. That's a whole nother podcast, I feel like. <laughs> but in this way, it's more of the teacher specifically being there to help on a project, you know, we have our high school kids writing college essays. So the special ed teacher, instead of pulling them out for this service, they can push into the class, just like you would push in for kids that are ready for it. And they could help with some of those executive functioning skills or some of that reading stuff to help students write their college essays. Or And so it's more of a model of like, let's have them be more of a consultant to the student rather than have this service um, which is a more restrictive way of doing things. Well, I will say too that, and I know like IEPs, especially ones that um, are written. So, I mean, obviously, again, I work in a, a very um, high, you know, high, high ratio program with kids that have pretty significant challenges. But we often will get um, IEPs that, that break down service delivery from general ed to outside of the general ed setting. And I think what's been interesting is to know over my career that I did almost exclusively pull out services for a really long time. I'm at a place now where I'm realizing more and more that the push in model can really be the most supportive model. Again, assuming students have some of these isolated skills that you maybe, you know, you almost have to, to triage it in your brain of like, is this a need that warrants this child removed from curriculum? Because they're going to miss something and you don't want them missing math and you don't want them missing reading and social studies. What are they missing to come and have a service provided outside of school? I mean, we're sort of getting off a tangent here, but are outside of the classroom. And what can I reasonably expect them to achieve within the group setting, within the classroom setting? And could you could you make it a little bit of both? It's challenging, but, you know, is that the best model um, to be able to provide? Well, it's all about least restrictive environment. Right. And that's really, I think having gone from a substantially separate program, a therapeutic environment to Mm -hmm. a public school, it is something that I have started to really ingrain in my brain. What does least restrictive environment Mm -hmm. look like for this student and how can we provide it? And always keeping that on the forefront of my mind because I feel like kids oftentimes with special ed services are, you know, not that this is supposed to happen, but like a schedule might drive how their service delivery is provided, right. you know, a school schedule. And that's, you know, oftentimes not fair to them because they're missing fun stuff. So let's think about it in a different way. Well, and I've, I've actually t- 
taken to saying in meetings, like just as we want kids to be in the least restrictive education setting, we want the service delivery model to be the least restrictive. We want this to look like what is going to support them in sort of their natural environment and not what's in isolation. And again, it's case by case. There are certainly students that need to have that one-on-one and it's really the most important piece of, or one of the more important pieces of their education. Well, and I think accommodations are also really important to think about, too. So you're th- when you're thinking about how you're providing the service, it's like, well, if you're thinking of least restrictive, are accommodations more appropriate than actually a formalized service? This is a battle that I fight on a regular basis. Um, and again, talk about getting on your soapbox. It's been happening recently um, where you, as the you know, provider of, again, a specialized service, or, you know, could even be like a reading specialist, whatever. But let's talk about it from a specialized service of like an OT speech pathologist. You are trying to make the decisions about certain things based on least restrictive. So you're looking at a student and someone says like, oh, that kid needs OT, that kid needs speech. Okay, what do they need? Because my thinking is immediately, what can we already accommodate for whether it's a gen ed setting, whether it's a special ed setting, whether this is a complete, the whole program has kids with you know special ed services or they don't. What can we provide within the context of that milieu, of that classroom, that's going to help first before we go to let's pull this kid out or let's push in with somebody sitting next to them? Because either way, it's still a service that like even if you're sitting next to a kid working with them that's still restrictive to an extent you're you're they're not as independent if you're sitting there with them so how can we start with something that might be a special ed teacher or a regular ed teacher is able to provide that strategy or accommodation or intervention before we look at this is actually something that's more of a deficit that we have to provide a a higher degree of service for well and then i also think of how many accommodations we i see that are best teaching practice or universal design mm-hmm. like stuff that should just be in the classroom we shouldn't right. have to put have to extra that. time yeah. on an IEP to get kids extra time that should just be yes. an option yeah. accommodations like should be things that students need outside of a regular and of course i if you are a school that is there and do not provide any universal design type accommodations on a program because your school does it please get in touch with us because i would love to hear how it happened i have never seen a school and and it's not for lack of i i don't want to like i'm not dissing anyone or down like it's not i think it's lack of training lack of knowledge lack of ability to work with other people to say like what can we put in our classroom i think the stress of curriculum the stress of everything is really a big piece of why some of this doesn't happen um but we shouldn't have to put like have an agenda up or like have a schedule like those are all things like visual schedules like that i would hope that that's just built into your experience yeah <laughs> at, 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 any, at any age yes i think kids right. in high school with executive functioning stuff that's a really easy way to like help them get back on track and remind them what's to come and i also i think too like my other my other little um aspect of this is so going along with that but also saying don't put things in there that you have no ability to provide mm-hmm. so i also it's wonderful to sit down at a meeting with all the people all the invested parties in that kid's case and say oh look at all the things we're going to do and look at this is so beautiful it looks like a beautifully wrapped gift and we're handing it 
Are we actually going to do these things? Are we providing all of the things that we're saying we're going to provide? Are we providing a scribe? Are we providing modified paper? Are we providing alternative seating? Are we doing the things that we say we're going to do that someone came up with or multiple someone's with best practice in mind, with the best intentions of the student in mind, and then we don't do them. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Again, I understand how stressful the day-to-day is, whether you have a classroom of 30 or you have a classroom of eight, and all eight have many, many challenges. I appreciate that. But if we are not providing some accommodations or things that are within this IEP, we are not following that law-binding document. Correct. So... Is that law binding? Yeah. Did law, I just make up a word? Law, law binding? Is that how you Law binding. Law binding? Um, bound by law? I don't know. Whatever. You get it. Um, if we're not following that, though, we're not doing our part. And so it's great to come up with these things. Are they actually practical for your program and for your teaching team? If they're not, then don't put them in there. Or if, they, if you need to put them in there, then you need to be able to follow through on that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I personally under have always underutilized the methodology portion, which is usually right below the accommodations, mm-hmm. to help describe how to best teach the student. And that's where you can throw in things like, the OT will come in and help push in. Like all of these, you know, when you think about like the need for one-to-one, you can describe it under methodology. I personally underutilize that, I underread it frankly you know when i when i've had new students like i i go for accommodations and goals and services and that's it many 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 pages of information you are trying to glean what jumps out at you which is again the point of making these clear succinct have a seam you know have them be more seamless if you can um this actually kind of goes nicely into the thoughts we had about standardized test scores because i do think adding to the stress of all of this is helping to ensure that in our state we talk about MCAS, the dreaded, it should also it should always be called DMCAS, dreaded MCAS. But this testing that pushes teachers over the brink because it's students have to meet a certain criteria, they have to meet a certain level, and we have accommodations for the MCAS, and we're very worried about that. And then it's like, well, if we're not providing that accommodation all the time, it can't be provided for the MCAS, but are we actually providing it all the time? I mean, you could twist yourself into a pretzel because we're so worried about the test scores when we're losing. So, you know, we might be writing objectives for the test scores that aren't necessarily functional for throughout their, their day. It's just like, we want to make sure that they're achieving these things to get to the test scores that we want to get. Right. And, and I think for evaluation purposes, when you're talking about like the WISC, the Wyatt, any of that stuff, and you're looking, I've seen a lot where people rely solely on those scores to determine whether or not a student's eligible instead of taking into account the actual classroom observations and what is happening in the classroom. I know from a personal perspective, I hated taking tests. I really wasn't good at it. Like halfway in or even sooner, like 20 minutes in, like my brain just wasn't firing on all cylinders. So that observational piece is so important. And I, in writing evals and completing Wyatt's and all of that myself, and you, you as well with your testing, I've always brought in observational pieces. Like in class, yes, these are the test scores, but in class, this is what I'm seeing. Here's the support that's being provided. And again, that goes back to the accommodations and it goes, it's, I think if you can take anything out of this podcast, I'm sure you could take so much of it today. Every single second of it. I think trusting your own judgment and trusting your own observations of the student is far and above, 
you know, and I know families and, 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 um, the pushback of test scores, test scores, test scores, certainly you could, you should look at them. No one's saying don't look at them at all, but definitely trust your judgment too on, on how students are performing with you in the classroom. And I'd also like to just, you know, speak to my advocates and my ed surrogate parents and my guardians and my parents out there, lawyers, whomever, who want to interject that a service or a uh, goal or whatever, uh, you know, should be provided based off of test scores only, despite someone, an expert in their field, giving information that, like you're describing, giving a lot of anecdotal, observational, functional, real-time information about, I watched this student do these things, this is what I'm seeing. Which, by the way, is also data. Correct. And just decided to negate that information because a test score was low, which again, references back to what I said earlier in this podcast about I'm seeing now my colleagues in the OT field starting to write disclaimer blurbs of basically saying, yes, we appreciate that these scores might reflect a certain, you know, a level. Here's what we're also taking into consideration. We're not just basing it on test scores. We're looking, you know, holistically at children, which I think is such a great thing about providers in education is you have so much you can look at. And I think I take my pride as an OT who's worked um, in mental health and um, with kids on the autism spectrum that I can look more holistically at what else is impacting these children besides just OT needs and being able to say, you know, yes, I see this here, but like, could we make it more about this area? And maybe the OT is consulting that instead of directly removing a child to work on something. And people still, I think, have it in their minds that if you're not providing this directly in a certain type of way, you're not giving the student everything they need. Yeah. They're all just pieces of a puzzle. Correct. So, I mean, a lot of times I I roll my eyes when someone say like, oh, what are the MCAS scores? And I'm like, okay. But it is. It really is a piece of the puzzle. They do, in Massachusetts, have to pass it in 10th grade. So. And, it's, and the requirements just got higher. Yep. So. so it's, you know, it is a piece of the puzzle. And I understand that that's it. But I, I don't want to put everything on that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say like lay my hat on. I don't know that I'm not good with idioms, so forget it. This is a, I don't know. Um, and then the other piece of that is you can't really take into account social emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is something that kids with social emotional challenges, um, a lot of people rely on some sort of doctor's diagnosis to be able to incorporate that into an IEP. And I'm seeing more and more post COVID there are a lot of kids and it's hard it's a hard judgment to make in a team meeting to determine if a student is academically sound does that warrant still warrant some sort of social emotional goal if they're never coming to school or if if they're only attending class half the time which are skipping right you know and how do you measure that i mean there are obviously measurements for their social emotional scales i mean Right. There's, There's some, some um, projective type testing you could do well, for from a psych perspective. That also but seems um, district to district, program to program, school to school. You know, it's, it's right. individualized to obviously a lot of things are, but I think, you know, you think of like any sort of other testing for academics and there's certain like, yes, we're academically testing you. We see that you're low. This is what we do. But like, how do you determine in a classroom of 30, like how many of those kids might actually need a social emotional goal? Right. Versus, again, going back to the accommodations or some best teaching practices in the classroom, or could it be a 504? Like, I just, that to me is, you know, where I personally still struggle of like, 
do we, you know, this student is sound, I mean, we've dealt with it with high absences, you know, I think frankly that's, and it's like this back and forth between the team of whether or not the student qualifies for an IEP under social emotional. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's a hard, I guess it's case by case. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to tackle in my opinion. Yep. I would agree. In my humble opinion. All right. So whopping topic change. I got a would you rather for you. Okay, that was a real. That was a real, <laughs> it was a real subtle that was a transition. Segue. Yeah. yeah. If, do you, if do you want to try again? If you're in segue school, learning how to segue, don't do it like that. <laughs> don't ever do it. And speaking of social emotional, yeah. let's talk about. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about a would you rather. Okay. <laughs> also, an activity you can do with your students. Oh wow. Okay. There you go. Way to tie it in. Well, well given, given this unseasonably warm day, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would you rather lounge by the pool or on the beach? Yes. That's not, that's not a tricky one. Well, I, whew. all right. It depends on, this is going to sound snobberish, but it's, it depends on the beach. So if the beach is tropical or really good water, really nice sand, doesn't have a lot of rocks and seaweed. So basically I'm like cutting out the Northeast, but... Um, I'd say when it's a warmer climate, I love a beach. When it's a little bit like, eh, the sand's a little, eh, the water's a little, mm, I might prefer the pool. Same, same. Am I allowed to, or do I have to just give an answer that's one or the other? Are we yeah. being that rigid about it? Yep, that's it. You can either go left or right. You can go pool or beach. I'm going to say beach then. Beach. Yeah. I would also agree that beach would be my preferred just because of the smell of the sea, the, the breeze, the breeze, uh-huh. all of that. Um, but I agree that some beaches are not. I mean, we opted for a pool when we went on vacation because of all the seaweed smell. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, <laughs> you, yeah, sometimes you have to make decisions about your senses. You don't need yeah. a sense overload. So it depends. But I would say majority of the time, yes, a beach because it's just the whole, you're right. The whole atmosphere is. Great. That's great. A nice drink. Okay. Beverage. All right. I don't think that was part of the question. No. But I guess you can get that pool too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening today. I apologize. I think it's, it's, I think we hear a little back echo and we're going to try to work on that for next time. So thanks I mean, for sticking with us, hopefully. We're still amateurs, even if we've yeah. had 10,000 downloads. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully you can hear us well. Yeah, we're not sure what's going on there, but... Um, we're going to have to figure that out for yeah. next episode, but we didn't want to waste all this great content today. So uh, enjoy and follow us on our social medias on, at Unstuck Podcast 1. We appreciate you all, all 10,000 downloads of you. Thank you. Thanks.